Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician trained in Britain, living in Canada, and I've worked in the U.S. And since retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving. Our topic today is what family caregivers should know about options for pain relief. It's an especially timely episode because of government actions in the U.S., and Canada against a particular prescription painkiller called OxyContin. Prescriptions for OxyContin are skyrocketing. OxyContin causes thousands of overdose deaths each year in North America. It's sometimes called hillbilly heroin, and it's sold on the streets for its heroin-like high. The crime it causes even leads to murder. OxyContin is up to twice as strong as morphine, and it's related chemically to morphine and heroin. Governments are attempting to curb the addiction epidemic by making it harder for physicians to prescribe and patients to get OxyContin. So anything that replaces dangerous painkillers like this is a much-needed advance in healthcare. Now, my guest today is British businessman Bill Archer. Bill has created, collaborated on, and promoted various internet-driven projects to improve patient-centric health information, aid self-management, and help family caregivers' empowerment. His projects include Britain's first triage assessment software for primary care, its first retail-linked health information websites delivered through retail and pharmacy, and Europe's first multi-level health informatics portal. Since 2003, he's focused on research and development of something called pulsed electromagnetic wave field therapy as non-medications pain management. His mission is to enable family caregivers to help their loved ones manage their pain with a safe addition or even alternative to medication. So welcome to the show, Bill. Hi there, Gordon. Great. Now, first question for you. Tell us a bit more about your background and your career and your life's work as a businessman. Who are you, in other words? Okay, well, my background um, is actually firmly rooted in marketing and previously in advertising. But to give you a synopsis of what I used to do, when I started out in the early 70s, uh, I was an account director, which in, in English means sales director, for a large regional advertising agency, which, which basically looked after clients with a diverse range of activity from large sports events, educational initiatives and financial services, right through to things like fashion companies and leisure products. Um, and also... Uh, if it's the right way to describe it, I was directly involved with the IT revolution right at the very start 
of the early 80s when PCs first became available for business. And I helped develop and launch the first fully integrated accounting management software. I also came up with the idea for the very first bundled IT package for business, which comprised a computer, software and printer all in one package. And I did that for IBM in the UK, the US and South Africa. And then some years later, when the Internet was being basically being primed for release to the masses, to the public, uh, my experience in IT came in very handy because it was around 1995 that I started to concentrate my focus on the needs of health information and the dissemination of it. Uh, to the public and somewhere along the line that that got tagged as health informatics uh, it certainly wasn't by me but I, I don't know where that came from um, anyway the, the 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 whole idea took on a greater resonance when I attended in a marketing role a conference of the British Medical Association in 1996 where the idea of the public being encouraged to take more responsibility for their own personal health issues was first muted. Now, I'm going to stop you there because I want to switch into your, your family caregiving experience. Just tell us about that and how it influenced you. Well, um, just briefly going back to that, that conference that I was at, that was when I first realised there'd be a major impact on care, family caregivers because... Um, my first experience of family caregiving needs was through being part of the team that developed the first triage assessment software that you mentioned earlier. Uh, and that was based on what was happening at the time in the USA anyway. The idea was that the system would be used by the NHS, the National Health Service in Britain, <coughs> excuse me, but instead of being used for the direct benefit of patients in terms of telephonic advice, as I envisaged it, it ended up being used as a ranking system in emergency rooms to decide which patients would be treated first. So, in fact, the, the, the purpose for which it was designed, it was never used for. And it was then that I realized that family caregivers were pretty low in the priorities of the powers that be in terms of healthcare delivery. And that's why I then started a parallel project to develop a health awareness system based on the R&D of health fact sheets that, are, that could be easily accessed by anybody and also be understood by any age group for any given scenario. But having the idea for it was one thing, getting it published and into practice was an ent entirely another because uh, I have to say the resistance of the medical profession at that time was quite high and I could only assume that they preferred to keep family caregivers and the public in general in the dark as far as the medical information went. But, you know, I, I persevered and eventually I was able to orchestrate and manage a quite powerful collaboration between three acknowledged medical schools in England, Maastricht in Holland and Bangalore in India, where we were able to create a, a pretty vast online repository of consumer-centric health information, and this library was then syndicated across many, many areas and eventually used in the retail sites of one of the UK's largest pharmacy chains. Right. I'm going to stop you there because we're going to have another question, which we must okay. get in before we go into the break. What actually got you interested in the problem of pain? 
Um, within the problem of pain, well, because my mother, uh, who had an accident, a road accident, um, lived in constant pain for over 30 years. Um, and basically, she was made very, very ill by the, the ongoing drug regime she was prescribed. In fact, there were several times when she actually told me that she almost lost the will to live. Now, of course, I was terrified by this, and as anyone would try and do with this new tool at our hands, I started frantically searching the Internet for anything that could help with what I saw as um, basically over-medication and under-treatment of my mum. And uh, I was looking for solutions to pain relief that might be drug-free, and I looked at absolutely everything which included the most well-known options such as TENS, um, remedial massage, acupuncture, a thing called Bowen technique, which was from Australia, and so on. But uh, I found through experience that TENS made mum very uncomfortable, and any slight relief she got was you know, very transitory, because as soon as the pads were removed, the pain started to return, in many cases worse than it was before. So, effectively, what I'm saying is, Gordon, that all the physical medical options uh, just simply made her pain worse, and it just seemed to me as though there was absolutely nothing out there. And then I stumbled upon a thing called PEMF, or Pulse Electromagnetic Field Therapy, uh, but we'll probably discuss that a bit later. But during this long period that I cared for my mum and my dad, who was also quite ill, it just made me realise how health providers, certainly in the UK anyway, dealt with elderly patients, particularly in the area of pain management, which was basically that they would um, dose them up with painkillers, whether they be non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, whether they be opioid-based drugs like OxyContin that you, you mentioned, uh, which are very, very addictive. And they didn't actually treat them. There was nothing there to treat the cause of the pain. As you know, any painkiller, any medication, even TENS machines, block the pain gateway. In other words, they block the, the pain gateway nerve in the spine. So they don't go to the point of pain. They don't treat the point of pain. They don't treat the cause. They just treat the symptoms. Um, and... That also caused me a problem when I, I went to go and see my dad once, who we had in respite care, because mum was just too tired to look after him. And the first time I visited him, he was a, a very vital character. But when I actually visited him in the respite home, he changed beyond recognition because he was almost comatose from all the sedatives that fell him to make him less of a problem to the largely unqualified staff charged with his care. So... I'm as incensed about that as I have been with the, pay, the way pain's managed, not just for seniors, but all age groups worldwide. And I think it's true to say that if a country has access to drugs, then it's true to say that patients in pain are indeed over-medicated and under-treated. And I think that's an outrage that has to be addressed by someone in power in almost every country in the developed world. So my... my entry to pain in short uh, and how it, it affects family caregivers is a very personal one. 
And I think it reflects a lot of experience right now with a lot of among a lot of people who are going through the same sorts of challenges that you went through. Um, so, uh, Bill, it sounds to me as though you were way ahead of your time in what you were doing and that with the stuff that we now know about OxyContin, for example, what you were thinking about and what were you, you were searching for was really the good way forward in healthcare, which I think now is just beginning to, um, to, to start. That's now, it is, it is time for us to take the break. As I like to say, we have to pay the rent. This is Dr. Gordon Adderley, and my guest is Bill Archer. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Bill Archer. Our topic is what family caregivers should know about options for pain relief. So now let's talk about the problems caused by pain and the problems associated with pain relief. So, Bill, what, what are the problems caused by per, to persons experiencing it and to family caregivers caring for someone with pain? Bill? Um, well, for family caregivers, of course, the main problem is that pain management is very low on the list of priorities for successive governments. And that applies, I think, as much in Canada and the U.S. as it does in Britain, where they keep introducing new health initiatives that are blatantly about producing politically driven statistics and results 
more than they are patient care in my view um, they cost a fortune they have loads of quangos but they don't improve patient care one iota what's a quango <laughs> it's like a an, an unofficial committee um where that, that's made up from uh, various members of junior members of parliament and then people from industry who have a vested interest um, but the, the, in, the, the impact that that sort of thing has on family caregivers Gordon who try to help their loved ones deal with the debilitating long-term pain uh, effects of a pain condition is immense you know for instance the side effects and contraindications that seniors in particular suffer uh, as a result of being almost force-fed pain medication, is frightening to say the least. Now I can't, um, I can't sort of be. Uh, I'm not qualified to, to give statistics about America, but I've got very good information about Europe. And a, a large Europe-wide study was carried out a few years ago, based on over 50,000 interviews with pain sufferers and family caregivers. And the striking results demonstrated the devastating impact of chronic pain, which established that over 75 million people across Europe suffered long-term chronic pain, some uh, an average of over seven years, with more than 20% of them suffering for 20 years or more. And it also established that chronic pain affected just over one in three households, which is absolutely amazing. Now, a third of those... Uh, chronic pain sufferers, um, they, they suffered it continuously. And over 35% of those sufferers felt that they could no longer cope with the pain, much like my own mother uh, at, at the time. So when you lose the ability to, to think or function normally, the feeling of helplessness is just overwhelming. And in fact, one in six of the people interviewed, this is, bear in mind, this is from over 50,000 interviews, actually said their pain was sometimes so bad they wanted to die. But having said all that, which is all a little bit dramatic, I think the most telling statistic for me from that research was that 62% of the people being treated for pain had actually asked to be taken off the pain medications because the side effects were too much to bear believing that their physicians were more focused on their illness than their pain. And I've got a very topical example of that uh, with the Olympics coming to London this year. Um, I read in the paper the other day that a young archery Olympian called Danielle Brown has suffered uh, with ter terrible, terrible pain in the feet uh, since she was a young child, which, well, she's about 15 or 16, uh, and now she's 23. And she was diagnosed with reflex sympathetic dystrophy, which in, in English is terrible, hot, stabbing pains in the feet that is, is 24-7. And it clearly, what she's done to be uh, in the Olympics is quite staggering because what she actually did was uh, she actually came off all. She stopped seeing pain. She stopped having pain medication altogether. So the only, the only way that she could actually focus with her life and focus with her sport was to actually come off the medication because the, the side effects were just too, too dramatic and too debilitating for her. I think that says it all.
Yeah. Now, you've already mentioned one type of pain yeah. associated with that particular condition. Just, just in a brief way, what are the various types of pain and how do you describe these? Well, of course, um, I, I, can't, um, I can't elucidate uh, pain terminology like you as, as a medical doctor, but it does come in many forms, of course. Um, the main ones are those which cause pain through uh, injury or damage to tissues or just general wear and tear, like osteoarthritis, for instance. Um, the root cause of things like nerve pain isn't known in a large proportion of uh, sufferers, and it can occur through a cocktail of, uh, of injuries, conditions and diseases, and it's suffered through some form of nerve damage. It can also um, be triggered through disease, uh, things uh, such as diabetes or osteoarthritis or even shingles where um, you get um, the, the pain that follows uh, shingles is very, very painful and is something that can be caused, uh, that, that can actually start without warning when people think the shingles has cleared up. Um, you can get skin pain which is caused by some form of blow or trauma to the outer shield of the body uh, and its, its largest organ, which is, of course, the skin. And that type of pain is very acute at the time of injury and can then be reflected by a large number of incidents such as stings, cuts, bruises, abrasions, burns, skulls, even things like whacking your finger with a hammer. Um, but it also results from pain also results from injuries or disease to bones and the tissue that joins our bones together, such as cartilage, ligaments, tendons, and so on. Um, additionally, you can get pain that comes from internal body cavities, uh, you know, such as your organs, kidney pain, if you have a kidney infection, liver pain, pancreas, lungs, and even the lymph nodes. Uh, throughout the body, which can present as referred pain in another dependent part of the body. So, for instance, to give a, a simple example, if somebody's got a, a pretty bad knee, an ongoing knee injury, it is quite possible that they could end up suffering pain in the opposite hip. In, in other words, if you've got a, a very bad right knee, you could actually end up having pain in your left hip, which nobody understands quite why other than it's referred pain because they're holding their body incorrect and <clears throat> what people don't uh, realize is that there's a thing which uh, which I call the pain triangle and that pain triangle is actually reflected in different areas such as physical psychological or biochemical in, uh, issues, but I think the problem is more succinctly described by an eminent Canadian expert in gerontology, who I was very, very lucky to meet several years ago, a lady called Heidi Bielas, who is a nurse, and she coined the phrase, chronic pain, uh, sorry, the, the triple jeopardy of chronic pain causes declining health, reduced mobility, and social isolation and and that is reflected with the worrying statistic that over one quarter of all chronic pain sufferers feel they never hear about new methods of treating pain right now i'm going to ask you to expand on things you've already said quite a lot about which is that 
the problems that can be caused by the various types of pain relief and how serious the problems are. So keeping in mind that you've been very strong on the challenges and problems created by medications, what are the other problems of medications and also of the other methods of treating pain or relieving pain? Well, uh, as as you know, um, medications used to combat pain, which which are commonly called analgesics, I think, have lots of side effects, which can occur with even they can even occur with over the counter medications. In other words, medications that aren't prescribed, including things like aspirin, um, acetaminophen, um, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Uh, opioids, which is similar to the OxyContin drug that you mentioned earlier, and even with some herbal medicines. And the side effects, which are are especially problematic when these medications are combined, intentionally or otherwise, I hasten to add, can include nausea, vomiting, allergies, internal bleeding, even heart attack and stroke. And certainly, as you mentioned at the head of the show, they can cause addiction, with the the resulting risk of drug drug abuse and even fatality. Um, But the most used of those drugs um, are non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, which I think account for almost 45% of uh, pain medication drugs. Now, several of the drugs have been removed from the market forcibly over the years, because they have been proven to cause stroke and heart attacks on an all-too-regular basis. And I, whilst I can't remember all the names, I certainly remember Vioxx being uh, taken off the market in 2006. Um, but interestingly, if you think that people are given a, a pain medication to treat a particular problem, it's faci- fascinating then to, to learn that the average number of pain-killing pills taken every day by chronic pain sufferers is 3.4 and invariably there is more than one type of painkiller given so they might be given something like um, cocodamol to take alongside a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory like Voltarol or naproxen or something like that and there are and then you go on to the next stage where you get some injection treatments where local anesthetics are pumped into uh, the body with or without cortisone-like medicines, like corti- I think they're corticosteroids, which can be eject- injected around the nerves or into the joints. But, you know, they're not recommended for repeat application because clearly steroids have um, side effects such as making you put weight on, making you a little bit grumpy and all sorts of other things. And then um, many years ago, electrical stimulation came onto the field of play And the most common of those is probably transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation, which is more commonly known as TENS, uh, which can be quite painful in in its own right, as it effectively stimulates nerve fibers through the skin by applying small electric shocks to effectively try and block the pain gateway. But as I said earlier, as soon as those pads are removed, many people experience the return of the pain either as it was before treatment or even worse. 
Right. Now, I'm going to ask you to talk just briefly about the pain relief option that you offer. And first of all, what is it called? What types of pain uh, does it relieve or help relieve? Well, the, the treatment, the therapy that I've worked on for the last nine years now is um, PEMF or post electromagnetic therapy. And that is actually, whilst I've been working on it for, for nine years, it's actually based on over 60 years of research and development in Eastern Europe, where it's been used for all that time to actually treat um, pain. Now, the therapy itself has probably surprisingly actually been approved for treating fractured bones that don't knit together by the USA's Food and Drug Administration for many years, since I think about 1982. Um, and whilst it's been that because some of the effects that have been proven to work are it will create a thing called osteoblasty, which means that bone cells um, recover and start to grow. And it's, it's not too dissimilar to stem cells, I, I guess, but the fact is that it, it can be used as for all sorts of things. Now, I don't agree that people can um, deliver a device that is a panacea for all ills. You know, nothing exists like that. But that is why we have concentrated on PEMF, post-electromagnetic field therapy, for pain management, because it can also be used safely on um, implants, such as hip or knee replacements, as it doesn't generate heat or electricity. Now, in that case, it's much safer to use than TENS because that generates heat, so it can't be used, and ultrasound devices can't be used because they also generate lots of heat. So anyway, getting back to PEMF, I found literally hundreds of thousands of pages about clinical studies done on hundreds of conditions using the therapy, and they were delivered by making patients lie within the confines of a giant donut-shaped machine, similar to um, a CT scanner that's used very commonly in all hospitals. And <clears throat> I found a small company in the UK who were trying to develop um, a therapy device, and they engaged me to carry out marketing consultancy for them, but they went into liquidation within three months, and they owed me almost $60,000. So I took over the product. And from that raw beginning, I began to develop the idea for applying the technology that was used in the giant machines for bone repair into a miniaturized version that would concentrate on pain relief for consumers to use. Right. So it's now on the market, is it, Bill? It is on the market, yes. Yes. Is it for sale in North America? Um, it's, at the moment, it's only for sale in North America if people uh, import it personally. So they can buy it from Europe, from anywhere in Europe, um, and they can, they can actually buy it online in a number of places, and they can get it. And, in fact, a lot of people have done so. A great many people, in fact, have, um, have actually bought the product, yeah. Great. Now, uh, we're coming to the time where we need to take the break once more. Sure. So this, this is Dr. Gordon Adderley, and my guest is Bill Archer. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. We're coming back.
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Each week, take a visit inside the locker room of your favorite sport with Dez Clark, Paul Fresh Clark, and Lester Scudder Davis as they bring you sportsmanlike conduct. As a current player, Dez Clark can bring you inside the sports world like nobody can. His co-hosts represent the fans of the sports world. With both points of view on the table, it becomes an engaging and entertaining program to say the least. Sportsmanlike conduct can be heard Tuesdays, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Nine different energy systems make up the energy body. Energy is all around us and connects us. Energy exerts a major control over our biology and is a big reason why you should be tuning in to energy medicine and optimal health with your host, Dr. Ann Deatley. We'll explore energy balance techniques, tips, and patterns to keep your flow of energy optimal to maintain maximal health. By adopting these techniques, you will keep your energy body and physical body in harmony. Listen for Energy Medicine and Optimal Health, Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Bill Archer. Our topic is what family caregivers should know about options for pain relief. So now let's talk about the things that family caregivers should think about when they're helping family members who experience persistent pain. So Bill, first of all, what are the factors that family caregivers should consider when they're helping a family member who's experiencing persistent pain? Bill? Um, Well, I think the first and probably the most important thing, Gordon, that family caregivers should do is actually listen. Uh, very easy not to listen when you're treating someone who's not doing very well at all. So I would say listen very carefully to what their loved ones are saying um, about their pain experience. And, you know, as I said earlier, each person experiences pain differently. And just going back to, to, to the product we were talking about, Pain Solve uh, and PMF, it's very important to apply the device directly to the point of pain, which means in some cases... Uh, for instance, a loved one might have been diagnosed with a condition that causes referred pain, that is, pain in another area of the body from the actual problem point. So, um, as I said, you know, you could have the, the knee problem reflecting in, in the opposite hip, for instance. But when someone's suffering from persistent long-term chronic pain, it isn't sufficient to simply apply the device for for one chronic pain session of 10 minutes, for instance, it's important to repeat the application two or three times. Uh, 
so that apart from the pain reduction that it will achieve, it will also relax the recipient of the treatment, which will have a, a pleasing effect that will lighten their mood and make life a little easier to cope with, which is a small but very important point because um, when people suffer pain, they very often lose a certain amount of communication skills. So it's quite important for family caregivers to be very precise, yet noticeably understanding and sympathetic to their loved one. Now, whilst it might be, um, you know, slightly frustrating for a family caregiver to continuously hear their loved one complaining about being in pain from time to time, it's also very important for a family caregiver to try and put themselves in their loved one's pain-racked position, because sympathy can also help a great deal with pain management. Right. Now, my next question sort of flows from what you've just been saying. What, what are the things that family caregivers should think about if they're worried about the use of medications by family members who are in persistent pain? And when and why should they consider your alternative to medications? In other words, is there, does there come a point where people are taking medications and family caregivers should start to think about making a switch? Well, um, if I can repeat myself a little bit, uh, the issue of family caregivers taking on the worry of their loved one being over-medicated and under-treated is very important and significant as well because as part of their care regime, they should always ensure that prescribed medications are taken in a timely fashion. And I refer back here, Gordon, to what you said about OxyContin. Now, all those fatalities, a great many of them, could have been avoided if people were, probably, were proper, properly supervised when they were taking such a, a terribly strong medication. I know from personal experience of actually looking after or sharing the looking after the care of my mother-in-law with my wife that many seniors resort to hiding medication in rubbish bins and trash cans and as I said, I know from my own experience that changes in the condition of a loved one either means that they haven't taken what medication they should have or conversely, in desperation, they've taken what is effectively tantamount to a dangerous overdose, which is what I suspect happened with OxyContin users, which can be particularly hazardous if they're prescribed with things such as non-steroidal anti-inflammatories or steroids as part of their treatment both of which can have very, very serious side effects, such as stroke, heart attack, and, and indeed death. So family caregivers should always be vigilant about any potential side effects or contraindications that prescribed pain medication can cause, because, you know, it's true to say that things can change very quickly, dependent on the stage of the chronic pain condition, uh, the general health, of, of the patient, the general well-being of the patient, and of course the effect of any newly prescribed medication. Because it doesn't matter if someone is taking a cocktail of drugs that's probably 10 or, 10 or a dozen pills, they could be given just one extra new one that could be the one that's the catalyst for causing serious problems. So it's vitally important for family caregivers to make sure that their loved ones don't self-medicate as taking their own choice of pills that's not been specifically prescribed for them could have catastrophic consequences. And, and as a, a prime example of that, I can tell you that my mother-in-law, we discovered, had got a stack of medication, of uh, antibiotics, 
that she gradually gathered together when she lived in Spain. And when she went into hospital and was given antibiotics um, for a painful blood infection, they didn't work at all, of course, because she was immune to them. So that's what I would call a catastrophic consequence of not um, managing medication. So in short... I would say, Gordon, that family caregivers should never underestimate the devious nature of a desperate chronic pain sufferer who is, is still mobile enough to pop out to the local stores without supervision. Because believe me, they will take anything that they think will help them. That is why uh, I'm so proud of, of PainSolve, which obviously has been based and developed entirely on evidence-based science, delivers a therapy that's proven to be very effective and is also a very effective adjunctive treatment. By adjunctive, I mean supportive and additional treatment for people being treated with other primary uh, methodologies. For instance, if someone's um, dependent on pain medications, pain solve will actually help the sufferer get relief, but also help the sufferer reduce their, um, their need for medication. In fact, they can cut down on pain medications. So whilst pain solves an alternative for pain management, it's equally potent as a support therapy. So there's never a time, in my view, when it should be used instead of medications, but the hope from my perspective would be that we could render the continued use of high levels of pain medications as less necessary. That would be the, 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 the great achievement for me anyway. Right. Now, just a quick question, because I've got uh, another one as well. Quick question is, what about talking to doctors? And the reason, you know, the, the, the family member's doctor, the reason I'm asking that question, it's a bit tricky because sometimes doctors aren't that comfortable talking about things like medications with family members because they're worried about the confidentiality of the information. So without going into a lot of detail, what's your advice to people about consulting doctors if they're concerned about medication uh, issues for their family member? Well, what they must first do in that instance is they must get some form of form that is signed by their loved one that authorizes them to speak to doctors. Because uh, if you go, and you're absolutely right, if you go to see a doctor, even with a loved one, and you talk about some medication, they'll be very, very hesitant and very reluctant to speak to you. So it is quite important. And these forms are readily available in any surgery in the UK and across Europe, and I'm sure they are in North America as well. So it's quite important for a family caregiver to make sure they get themselves uh, put onto a form which allows a doctor or a physician of any kind to share information about medication with them. Um, I think what you have to bear in mind, though, is that it is um, a racing certainty, and doctors would deny this vehemently, but it's a racing certainty that a lot of doctors prescribe uh, medications without really examining patients. I know for a fact. From okay. Now, I'm going to stop you there, not because what you're saying is unimportant, it's vital, but because I want to get my last question into you. All right. Just very quickly, what is your message for family caregivers who are caring for a family member in persistent pain? What's your very short message to them? Well, 
Um, what would my message be? Um, basically, I, I, I think that we've all heard the old adage, patience is a virtue. And never, in my opinion, is that more apposite than when caring for someone who suffers from chronic pain. What, what a family caregiver has to remember, Gordon, is that the sufferer or their loved one who's suffering chronic pain doesn't actually have a choice. Chronic pain's different to acute pain in a number of ways. Because whilst acute pain, you know, can happen when you hit yourself with a hammer, um, uh, chronic pain has no purpose and it's, and, and it tends to be described with words that allude to underlying feelings about that pain. So there's no real reason for chronic pain other than it being a terrible burden. So, for example, a family caregiver caring for someone with fibromyalgia, for instance, will tend to hear more emotional words used to describe the pain, such as crippling or unbearable. And seniors with chronic pain particularly uh, report more pain locations and, and use more descriptive words than those with acute pain so you know so in other words bill i'm going to have to interrupt yeah, you because we're yeah. running right out of time okay. now but basically patience and listening uh, understanding and being ready to talk about their concerns seems to me a summary of your message and also what we've been talking about in this in this episode so uh, as we come to the close now i want to say thank you to our listeners and i want to say a particular thank you to bill for sharing your experience, your insights, and your advice, and particularly your willingness to speak so openly about some of these challenges, which are very serious. So all success to you. Now, in our next episode, we're going to talk about baby boomers confronting the caregiving challenge. Please join us, same time, same spot on the internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.